Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. I'll be your host for this evening. Uh, my name is Aid, and you are listening to show 116. Uh, sadly, uh, Rach is not with us this week because Rach is, uh, I think she's in an underground rave bunker in Berlin, isn't she Graham? Yep, last picture I saw was her and a big, big glass of wine. So she's having far too good a time when she's supposed to be out there educating people. Yes, yes. Quite what she's educating people about at this time of night with a glass of wine in her hand. Who knows? But there we go. <laughs> in a bunker in Berlin. In a bunker in Berlin. But, you know, yeah, there's worse places to be, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, right, well, there's, there's not just the two of us though, very important because we have a super special guest this week uh, and uh, this is somebody uh, well, well, Graham, uh, Graham how, did, how did we find out about our super special guest this week? Uh, well, Sandra is um, somebody whose work is should be familiar to a lot of people and actually we got recommended her by an email listener recently who said oh we should get sandra on but i'd already seen her work before then um because sandra is an incredibly rare breed of photographer she's somebody who's not only making a very successful career using film photography but she's doing it in the field of portrait photography and specifically newborn uh, portrait photography as well as that she is an educator and does workshops with Adorama. And so uh, Sandra's out there fighting the good fight. And anybody who isn't already familiar with her is about to have their world um, enlarged and improved by her presence in it. OK, well, there we go. Well, there we are. So Sandra Cohen, welcome. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm blushing a little. What a nice introduction. Uh, well, this is, this I'm is... just going to replay that all the time for myself in the morning. <laughs> if you'd like, I'll send you just that as a little snippet. That'd be lovely. I'll have it as my ringtone. Thank you. Oh, well, that's great. So, yeah. Okay. As I'm sitting here at, you know, at my desk looking at your website, it says Sandra Cohen Photography, Maternity, Newborn and Family, because they're only little once, which is uh, actually having two young children myself, I, I have both fond and slightly less fond memories of them being that small but <laughs> but, right. the, but the photography is is great I'm very interested to talk to you about your photography uh very interested to talk to you as well about some of the business side um uh, and especially how the whole film thing you know work works for you um and but but I mean why don't you just start off by uh tell us telling us a, a little bit about how you see your business yeah. Okay, great. Well, um, I, I see my business as something that I love. So I uh, started out a long time ago. So this is like my 18th year. I'm going into my 19th year as a professional photographer. So I've been doing it for a very long time. And so when I started back in the day, of course, film photography was just photography, right? Like everybody shot film. That's what we were doing. And then, you know, when it transitioned, when everything happened, we transitioned to digital. I did that as well because I believed that that's the way the industry was going and that's what you needed to do to stay relevant. And um, and so I shot digitally, digitally for about four years and just kind of struggled with it. It was just never an easy transition. I feel like digital and I, we just never understood each other. And so after <laughs> about four years of fighting with my camera and trying to make it look the way it used to look when I shot film, I thought, well, why don't I just go back to shooting film? And so that I'm pretty was sure that'll idea. resonate with our listeners, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is like ridiculous. So, um, so at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go back to shooting film, and I did. And um, now I shoot film 100 percent of the time, 
that's all I use in my in my professional work and couldn't be happier. It's been it was probably the best business decision I've ever made. So would you life. say then that you 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 went back to film or would you say you, you really just had a, a sort of short hiatus from it and you never really left? Well, I kind of like had, I guess, like a little affair with digital. Like I was like, <laughs> I'm going to try it. But in the end, I went back to my true love. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair, fair enough. I mean, it's, it's got to be actually, I mean, you know, I, I have the luxury of being a complete amateur uh, when it comes to photography, or actually many things, but especially photography. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to worry about making a business out of my hobby, which I, I, I do feel is a luxury. Um, so I can play around with film and, and I can, uh, you know, I can try things out, um, uh, not having to worry about it. Um, is that something that, you know, that, that you have to consider? Do you, do you ever worry about that? or are you just totally in the film zone and and you, you know what you're doing and, and it's all going to come out all right on the day well in the beginning that was a concern so when I when I decided to make the transition back to film there I did feel like I had to a I had to relearn how to shoot it because anyone who shoots film knows that you know film especially like color film or c41 negative they it reads light it sees light so different i mean much different i can't even speak good heavens so worked (laughs) up differently than a digital sensor is what i'm trying to say and so i kind of had to like relearn it a a little bit if that makes sense um and then there was the cost part that i was concerned about and um transitioning my clients you know the expectations have shifted and um so it was it was a kind of a process it actually took me about a year before I went 100% film once I started that transition. But as far as the business part of it, um, I feel like shooting film is is a business expense. So it is a non-issue for me because I'm smart about my numbers, right? Like I factor in, well, this is how much it costs. This is what I'm, you know, spending on buying film. This is what I'm spending on processing and scanning. Um, and I just work that into my pricing. So that part of it is, you know, kind of a non-issue. So it's a question I get all the time. It's how can you, how can you make a profit and shoot film? And it's like, well, you price your work. Charge, charge more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you figure it out and then you roll that into your cost of doing business. So, so that, that's, um, that's an interesting point of view. Cause I mean, that, 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 you know, that, uh, I think I hear that comment a lot from people who are feel that they're competing against uh, photographers who are purely digital and therefore the marginal cost of a shot is essentially zero. Right. Um, so, but 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 clearly you've managed to reach a, a client base that, that appreciates the aesthetic. Well, you know, it's interesting because I hear that a lot too. And um, I have a lot of pretty strong opinions about that kind of stuff. But one of the things I always tell people is really whatever your competition is doing has absolutely nothing to do with you and your business at all. doesn't matter. You know, you can be the most expensive photographer in your city and still run a thriving business if you're marketing, right? Like what your competition is doing really doesn't affect your business. What affects your business is your communication, right? It's knowing exactly what it is you do and exactly who your people are and making sure that you're communicating what you do to your people. And if you are right, that's the marketing piece. Then the people you're going to pull in are those people that are going to be happy to pay you what you're charging, who are going to love your aesthetic. I, I mean, most of my clients, I don't think know necessarily that I shoot film. Some of them do. 
and for some of them that's it's a selling point but really what they see is they see my images and they like my images and they like the look how i'm getting that look they don't really care about that you know as long as they're going to get their photos and their photos are going to look like that that's what's most important to them that that sounds uh, I mean, that, that that does sound very enlightened actually um uh, uh, good good clients that you have because one of my things i was i was thinking of is that you know photographs of kids and, and especially of newborns they're, they're some of the most precious things you can have at that period in your n- new life as a parent aren't they mm-hmm. you know, oh yeah uh, and and so you know i, I could uh, you know I, I don't know i had a, a mental image that some of the clients that you might have would say oh well we don't want any of that nasty films stuff it's going to come out wrong but (laughs) no not at all they trust me because I'm really good at branding and I'm good at communicating what I do to my people (laughs) and 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 good at photography as well let's not let's not escape that because I yeah Yeah. I I can flick through your flick through your website here and and there's some amazing yeah portraits of people of all ages it's it's certainly not just babies is it I mean you you've got you've got uh, all all of the uh, all of the age groups uh, represented there, and, and yeah, and... I tell people I'm a portrait photographer first. That's what I do, and I just happen to take a lot of portraits of babies. <laughs> that's okay. That, that I can go with. I can go with that. That that sounds. And so, how how do you end up with a with a business that is about taking portraits of babies or port, portraits of people? What drew you into portrait photography as as your you thing? Know, I think, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about running your business and I can get very lofty about this, but I really believe that we all have a calling. Like you pick up your camera, you're called to do it for a reason. And I've just, from the beginning of my life, I've been a portrait photographer, which is weird, but you know, I always have had a camera in my hand. I grew up with a camera in my hand. My dad actually had a dark room in our house in the basement. So, I mean, I grew up around this all the time. And from the dawn of time, I took pictures of people like I was, this is a real life true story. So my parents got me a little point and shoot camera when I was like eight or nine for my birthday. And I would, I would like create these little backdrops in my room out of bed sheets and photograph my dolls, like swaddled and stuff, like roll after roll after roll. And God bless these people. They developed that film. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like. So I've like, like it's something I guess is just I've always been interested in. Like I'm the kid who when I went to, you know, Europe the first time with my high school French group, you know, when everybody else was taking pictures of the Eiffel Tower, I was taking pictures of people sitting in front of the Eiffel Tower. You know, it's just like I like people. I like faces. There's something about being a portrait photographer that I feel like is storytelling and um being a historian, like there's something that that feels really important to me. It's just something that I'm really drawn to. So that's why that's so I've always photographed people. I love photographing people. And I started my business kind of by accident, honestly. Um, but I started out as a maternity photographer, photographing a good friend of mine, and she is the one who said, Hey, you should turn this into a business. And I was like, oh, that's actually not a bad idea. And so I started with that. And then those maternity clients turned into newborn clients and those newborn clients turned into family clients. And so it kind of grew organically that way. But um, yeah, I do think of myself as a portrait photographer more than just a newborn photographer. 
That's, for sure. No, no, and and it and it it comes through. It it comes through in in the shots. I mean, some of the some of uh, the ones that I've seen and and uh, really caught my eye. Actually, looking through your portfolio and things like that, have been uh, of the uh, of the older people. Well, of all ages. I mean, rather than just just the just the very young kids. So okay, so so there's a there's a lifelong love there of photography and and especially of portrait photography. So that kind of yeah that yeah i i can i can relate to that because I, I like to think of myself if i do have a preferred sort of genre of photography it would be it'd be portraits and stuff like that and uh i i when when my kids were young uh and i used to have to get up very early in the morning to look after them and you know i i would take a lot of photographs of them as well <laughs> and okay. and that was how i got a lot of that was how i got a lot of my practice on film photography actually it happened to be roughly the time that i was getting back into film photography that i you know i happened to have these two very young children uh most importantly uh they were too young to say no and to move away and, <laughs> <laughs> and so now now, now they'll run yeah. a mile as soon as they see me with the camera but that's uh yeah that's that's another story i think so so and and so uh you, you're based in seattle yeah, yeah. and yeah. uh and and as graham remarked just before we hit yeah. the record button probably a good idea if you're in seattle to have a studio as a main part of your business absolutely not, not well not well known for uh its weather well actually maybe it is very well known for its weather actually seattle. just not its sunny weather yeah <laughs> just not its sunny weather although i understand there's a, a little bit of a glitch with your weather at the moment yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, this time of year, it's actually really, really beautiful. This is the best kept secret. Like the late summer fall is is really pretty lovely. Um, we had we had some smoke from some fires, but you know, other than that, it's really gorgeous this time of year. But yeah, no, the rains will come. So I always joke like, you know, winter is coming, and um, you have to be prepared. Well, you know, for those dark days. But yeah, so we, you know, I was talking about my transition when I decided to make that choice to go back to film. And, you know, that was when I decided to learn studio lighting. So up to that point, I had always been a natural light photographer. And even in my studio in Seattle, um, with digital, I can make that work, right? Because, you know, even with natural light, there are days that it's just really, really dark. And so you can kind of handle that with a digital camera. I knew that if I was going to go back to shooting film 100% of the time, which is what I wanted, however, I was really going to have to figure out the lighting thing. And that was a struggle for me because I'm a self-taught photographer and lighting was something that scared me, which I feel like is something that I hear from a lot of photographers when people tell me that they're afraid of strobes. I get it because I used to be afraid of it too. Yep, me too. (laughs) Right? And so like I avoided it for years and years and I had all these misconceptions about that strobe light looked artificial or flash looked super flashy or, you know, those images that we all get in our heads when we think of studio lighting with flash, you know, or, or yes. studio lighting from like the eighties or, you know, it's just like, I was like, Oh, I don't want that. And um, so I really started studying and learning and practicing and trying all these things because I wanted to be able to create that same soft natural light look that I got with my window light with my strobes. And so I taught myself how to do that. It took me, about a year at the beginning, the pictures were not good. <laughs> I should post some of them sometimes. And I'm like, hey, friend, it's okay. I get it. If you're no, if it's not working out at first, I get it. I have been there. Um, so they weren't very pretty at first, but I kind of, I did learn a system. And now I can't live without it. Like now I've come to prefer the studio lighting and 
um, even when it's bright sunny days, like today we have a beautiful bright sunny day. Yesterday we did too, and I had a full roster of clients. And I'll actually draw my curtains so I can just use my strobes because I prefer it to natural light, right? Gasp. Yeah, well, no, no. So, so I, 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 I get that actually. Um, and it's funny you say it's a bit scary because yes, I mean, I, I remember the actually the first person to 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 buy me any kind of a, a photography light was my wife. She she noted that I'd bought this digital camera and I was getting into photography. This is before I came back to film, and uh, she bought me a a speed light for my camera. And then for, for weeks after that, everything I shot was massively overexposed. And I yeah. was going to think, well, how, like, what, yeah, and what, what, do you, what do you mean that the exposure is only a, a multiple of two factors? It's, it's not three factors. Surely exposure is supposed to be a triangle. You're telling me that one of those things no longer matters. I'm <laughs> here like, like uh, and and, and yeah. it, it it took me ages and uh, and I did practice and um, so uh, and I I sort of yeah I found myself looking at some of the work on your website thinking you must have some really big white spaces somewhere in your studio that you're bouncing this off because you've oh, yeah. got you've got the you know uh, I mean wait it it's clear that you've got from the shots you've taken you've got the ability to to shoot at and make use of the fall off of light fall off of the light across the subject but also the the opportunity to to make that go away presumably by having uh, by playing with the uh, the inverse square law and putting the lights further away and making them really really big um but uh yeah so so i i i envisage you in this enormous white space studio is that what it's like <laughs> it's kind of like that um yeah so i have big big white walls everywhere and i use giant modifiers because i can and i actually get my lights really close to my subjects and so i do create that really big soft light so my my technique is big modifier really close to my subject, I turn my power way down. And then yeah, either I have white walls, you totally guessed it. Um, <laughs> but when I'm on location, or I'm teaching or something somewhere else, then I'll bring in a, a B flat or um, a bounce, like some sort of something to bounce. Yes, that light off of. And um, yeah, that's my setup. So I do everything with one light. And with, with one light. Okay, that's mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, tell us about yeah. that one light. That's yeah. Because I just don't feel the need for more. <laughs> okay. I always tell people, it's... like, my brand is lazy. I mean, that's, like, one of the reasons why. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> it doesn't that's say that reason. on the coaching page of your uh... website. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to learn how to be lazy, contact Sandra Cohn at sandracone.com. No, uh, that's one of the reasons why I went back to shooting film, right? Because I don't want to do all the post-production. I just want to be, I want to do it in camera the way the Lord intended and be done. But, um so same with the lights. I, I, again, I went into lighting knowing nothing about how to use studio lighting, knowing nothing about inverse square law, none of the big words, none of the anything. All I knew is that I knew how to work with a window. And so I pretended that my strobe and softbox was a window. And all the things that I would do with window light, I tried with studio lighting. And I really tried to mimic that. And that's how I learned what I, what I do, what I did. And so I was like, well, I just work with one window. I can just work with one light. Same, same. And, um, so yeah, so I've always basically just used one light, like, and occasionally I'll bring in some 
extras if I'm trying to do something fancy or whatever. But really for my work, I want it simple and easy. I just want to put it up, not think about it. And, you know, I'm working with kids a lot of the time. So I don't want to have to be thinking about all that. I don't want to have equipment anywhere that anybody can trip on or get hurt on. I just want things really stripped down and simple and beautiful. And yes, I, I, get, I get the, the whole work, work, working with kids thing. You need a massive light because if you try, if you have any light that is in any way aimed, they will simply walk away, won't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know people are like, how do you work with toddlers? How do you get into this still? And I'm like, I don't. Yes. <laughs> toddlers run all over the place. I, I've been burnt by that one myself many, many times. It's just like, you know, to the, to the point where I just, sometimes I don't even try anymore. I remember one time a couple of years ago when I tried to take a photograph of my son, I thought, I got him, right? He's sitting on the sofa watching the telly, right? I, I, it's all right. I've got a few seconds. I can put up a light stand and just take a photograph of him relaxing. And he let me put up the stand and he let me put the light on it and he let me put the softbox on it. And he saw me get ready to take the shot and he got up and walked away. Yeah, he's like, and we're done. That was yeah. really fun. Yeah. yeah, he totally won that round. <laughs> round one to toddler. They usually do, right? That's the thing. Yes, yes. So so, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. So that's, I'm, well, thank you for talking to us about the lighting thing because actually that was something I was really, you know, keen to, to talk about because it, it is a subject that, that's uh, close to my heart. Um, I mean, uh, one of the things that's happened uh, recently is we did get a, um, uh, an email from uh, a listener saying actually it'd be good to, to have a, a little bit of a talk about uh, some of the techniques of lighting with, with film photography. Uh, would you be able to walk us through quickly uh, you know, how, how it is that you, you set up and meter and, and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. And just so your listeners know, if they want to see metering, how I meter for um, film on my website, sandraconeducation.com. I have tons of blog posts there. I have a YouTube channel that has lots of videos too, so you can totally see it. But Oh, wow. I, okay. Well, we'll make sure yeah. to put that in the show notes then. Yeah, I do. Because sometimes, you know, us photographers, we tend to be visual learners. And sometimes it's nice to, to see what you're doing. But I always tell people I meter my strobe and flash just like I meter with window light. And so once you get your meter into a flash mode, so it will read uh, a flash or a strobe. And I have tutorials on how to do that. Then I just meter like I would meter anywhere. And so with my color film, what I do is I meter for my shadows. So I rate it box feed meter for my shadows with the strobes and flash. And when I'm shooting black and white, I meter where I want my detail to be. So if I'm shooting for the highlights, if I want that, um, more, more drama that I'll meter there and I'll communicate that to my lab so that they can scan for the highlights. Or if I want a little more definition in the shadows, I'll meter for my shadows. So just uh, okay, so so we're, oh, just just to make sure I've understood that, then when you say you meter yeah. for the shadows, you're you are using your meter in an area that is a, a shadow area and getting what the meter will tell you is a correct exposure uh, for for that point in the shot. Is that is that correct? That is correct. And I always rate you know a lot of things. Um, another thing people ask me about a lot is if I rate my film something other than box speed. So you know box speed, four hundred speed film, for example. You'll hear a lot of film photographers say that they will take their 400 speed film and they will put 100 speed in their meter. So they're rating it at 100 and then they meter from there. I don't do that. Again, remember, my brand is lazy. So I like things simple and easy. <laughs> so I always just meter for the box speed. So if I'm shooting 400 speed film, 
I'm rating it at 400 and I'm metering for the shadows. So that yes, okay, that's interesting. So are you, are you at that point? I guess you're you're leaning on the capacity of the film to soak up those highlights in a nice way. I guess exactly, which is great for C forty one. And then I did this ectochrome test. It's like <laughs> I can't do that with the ectochrome. <laughs> but um, so then I teach all people all new thing. But yeah, like when you're shooting C forty one, even honestly, black and white film stocks these days have such tremendous latitude. You can meter for the shadow, make sure that that darkest part of your image has enough light in it and you're not going to overexpose those highlights. Yeah. I mean, C41 is amazing. Oh yeah. The, the, the stuff, you know, when I tend to, if I'm doing stuff like that, I tend to use Kodak Portra and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's almost impossible to get it wrong. You have to be really trying quite hard to, to push Portra beyond where it's comfortable. <laughs> I tell people that all the time. I taught an intro to film photography class for Creative Live and it got that question a lot. Like people are like, oh, I'm so scared. And I said those exact words. And that, <laughs> and the thing I was like, you have to try really hard to screw up a color stock film. <laughs> like Fortune 400, you know, I've intentionally overexposed six stops just to see what would happen. And it's fine. Yeah. It, and that's the th- it's actually a lot easier to do some of this lighting stuff with film than it is with digital cameras, isn't it? Because you Absolutely. have that much more range available. And also the the uh, the curve uh, associated with that dynamic range is so much more pleasing to the eye. I think so. I say that all the time. Like I can I like the way that strobes look with film so much better than I like than strobes with digital it just film just brings this softness to it you know that that beautiful soft airy quality that you can't get with a digital sensor or i should say it's very hard to get with a digital sensor yeah yes yes i i mean they get better with every generation don't they but oh, yeah. it's it's still it still it, um can be it, 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 easy to just make a, a silly mistake i find with a digital camera and then and then it's done and it's gone yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. No, you're no, like guess what they just blew out the highlights and that person doesn't have a face anymore yeah yeah <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> so we've got so okay so let's just have a quick ra- recap before i ask the next question so so we you, you, you've been taking photos all your life uh, you love taking photos of people it sounds like you actually love people as well i actually do i do <laughs> which is probably a good thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably uh, and, and and you know and and film photography particularly has has been really good to you um, in, in its various different forms, including you know, using it as a studio tool in a in a commercial space. Um, so so the, you know we hear a lot and we talk we talk a lot you know because we you know, there, there are little news sections on our podcast where we say oh you know Fujifilm have have cancelled another film this week, um, but then actually we we were absolutely celebrating all through 2017 and the early part of 2018 because there were so many new films that were launched. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um where do you see the the future of film photography? What what does that mean? What does that even mean to you? Oh, I think the future of film photography is strong. I really do. Like I said, I've been doing this for a million years like, as a profession, and I've been here long enough to see the arc of things. You know, I was there when digital came along, and everybody was like, film is dead, and it's gone, and, and I've been watching it slowly come back. And I think what's been exciting is that we've seen it come back really strong in the wedding world, right? The wedding industry and some of the top wedding photographers in the world shoot film and swear by it. Um, and I'm now, I'm, I, my mission has always been like, I want to see that happen in the portrait world. And it's exciting because it is happening. I'm seeing it more and more, uh, more 
portrait photographers, more family photographers are shooting film, more people are shooting film just for their families. You know, another thing that has happened in the digital age is that we all have access to cameras, you know, think of how many pictures you take every day on your phone. If you're like me, it's like a bazillion. Mm -hmm. Um, But those pictures never see the light of day. And people are starting to realize that. And I, I get messages all the time from people who aren't professional photographers. They're just moms and dads, and they're just wanting to capture beautiful photos of their kids that they're actually going to print and actually going to look at again. And that is easy. That is not a distraction. Um, and film gives them that. So I, I think it's only getting stronger. You know, we, we're seeing companies like, you know, Kodak Alaris bringing back stocks and people are so excited about it. And, um, I think the future of film photography is strong. I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to see where it goes. Well, I, I, I am as well, actually. And you, and you mentioned uh, Kodak Alaris there. Of course, you know, um, we, we haven't talked about you being a, a beta tester for Ektachrome. I mean, you know, uh, and I know that in, in other places you, you have spoken about that. But what do you see about the, the future for that? What, what does that mean for you looking forward, seeing that there's new slide films being released? Yeah, there's new slide films. They brought back a, um, a black and white stock earlier in the year. Did, Again, yeah. I think it's just more tools in your toolbox. It depends on what you look. You know, what I, what I love film for, and, um, and, I, and I teach this and I share this with people, is that it really is just another artistic tool. So it's similar to a way a painter would choose a paint, right? Like, are you going to paint with watercolor? Are you going to paint with oil? Like, what is the look you're going for? Because it's those are both paints, but they're their look is so different. Well, that's the same thing with film stocks. Like if you're going to be a film photographer, I say you need to know your light. You need to understand how to use light. You need to know your film stock and understand each individual's film stock and then know your lab because your photo lab has such influence on the final look of your image. And so with new film stocks coming in, like, like the Ektachrome 100 that's now coming in, it's just another tool. It's another, it's completely, it's a completely different look than say portrait 400 or portrait 800. And, um, and so it gives you something else. It's another tool in your toolbox. So if you want that look, if you want something more saturated, I, if you want something that's a little more perfect and as you, you know, what you see is what you get, um, then that's, a stock that you can go to. So I think it's exciting. It just gives us more options and more choices. And especially as artists, like that's so fun. (laughs) You get to design the look in your head, like, and then choose the stock accordingly to make that vision happen. Yeah, I, 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 that is it. Actually, that that's a really good point. Uh, that's something that I really like about shooting with film is is thinking about well, where am I going? What am I going to be shooting? What do I want that to look like? And yeah. then you can choose a camera, and then you can choose a lens, and then you can choose a film stock. Um, yeah. And, and some of those choices are available to you, yeah, with digital. But you know, I, I personally don't have a digital medium format camera, so sometimes I think to myself, this this is going to look really good on my Bronica, yeah, because I love the lens that I know that I'm going to use for this. And, yeah. Uh, so actually, that's a good sort of slight slight aside. What what kind of cameras do you use? Oh, I use all the cameras. <laughs> Excellent. That's the right answer, especially for Graham, who owns all the other cameras. <laughs> I bet he yeah, well, sounds like we should get together. So I have about a bazillion, but um, my workhorses, I shoot with the Hasselblad H2. 
um, a contact 645 and a Roloflex 2.8. Those are the those are the heavy rotations. Oh, right. Okay. So no 35 mil in that then. No. And I actually haven't touched my 35 mil for years until I did the Ektachrome beta test because um, that film's only available currently in 35. So I busted out my 35 millimeter and actually had a lot of fun shooting with it. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. <laughs> it's so light. Uh, well, um, they, are, they are that actually i had one of mine yeah. out this weekend actually and it was well, yes it was oh yeah this is easy to carry around fits in a small bag yeah it's great <laughs> yeah it was super fun so i might i might be busting that one out a little bit more oh uh, okay yeah well especially if 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 there's more ectochrome on the way so uh yeah which which uh, if that's the film of choice so okay well do you know what um brilliant thank you thank you for an introduction to the to the way you see uh the, the world of film photography and the way you see uh the the, the business of film photography as well uh, yeah. we're going to take a a little break now and come back uh, with a few more questions for you Okay, back from that little break, and uh, do you know what? One of the fun things about that part of the conversation it was it was overwhelmingly positive. So uh, not not to bring us back down to earth, not to not to uh, you know puncture the vibe at all. But uh, you know we do live in a world where the you know, people don't make film cameras as such anymore, or at least not many, and and films do get discontinued. So you know, Sandra, you know, have you ever had a, a favourite film discontinued? I have. I do love the the Fuji uh, Acros 100. Mm. That was beautiful stock. I was sad to see that go. Um, so you know it happens. Uh, but you know I'm also excited about new films coming down the pike. Here's the thing. Like I said, I've been in business a long time, and things change and move, and you kind of have to roll with it and adapt, and you know see what's next. So. I have a little tiny stash in the freezer that I still pull out every <laughs> once in a while. Um, have you got an enormous you know, freezer, the sort of the sort of freezer that you could store dead bodies in that's just full of film or something <laughs> like that? Oh my God, wouldn't that be amazing? No, I have one of those little like dorm ones that you put in your ah, college yeah. dorm. Yeah, that I have at my studio. But it is, it's, it's funny. <laughs> Maybe this is too much information, but it's full of film and it has like two cans of beer in it right now <laughs> that, that, that's a, that's a re- that's okay as long as there's no food in there you're all right <laughs> yeah i'm good just the essentials oh, that's okay yeah i get i uh i get part of one of our fridges here at home you know, to get to, to keep my film in so it's uh you know that i could that that's good it's pl- plenty plenty and then there's a, there's a little freezer in the garage where i store some stuff where i've got too much of the same thing <laughs> Yeah, right. That's nice. I had I used to have a crisper drawer, you know, where you put your vegetables in. Oh yeah. At yeah. our at our refrigerator home that was all for my film, but I I graduated to its own <laughs> space okay well that, 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 that sounds good there'll be so there'll be a few listeners to this show that are envious of that i think but yeah <laughs> it, it's it, and you're right i think on on rolling with the punches you know you're right things do change yeah um uh yeah the f- films do change films do go away films do come back and we do we we like to take time to to mark the passing of some of the favorite ones you know on this show but we you know, Graham, I mean, you know, we started this show, well, this is show 116, so we started it 116 weeks ago, and we never ever thought that we would have a news item section, did we? 
No, not at all. Not at all. It's uh, yeah. It's weird to think that even just in the two and a bit years since we started, that the landscape has shifted drastically under our feet. It has. Well, that's and kind of exciting. I mean, I can I ask you a question? Sure, you can. <laughs> like, that's yeah. really interesting. So, yeah, because you guys are privy to all this information. You're talking to all these different photographers and you know companies, and yeah, I mean, have you seen it? Have you seen it change in the two years you've been doing it? I, th- just... I think so yeah def- definitely I mean we've spoken I mean you know <laughs> that because of the nature of what we do actually we share pretty much all the information we get but the, um, I mean Graham you toured Ilford recently didn't you with Rachel and you got uh, a very uh, personal view of what had happened to them over the years yeah absolutely I think it's been really interesting to sort of see how perhaps a little bit later than would be ideal, but how um, the analog photography market has really um, started to realize the potential of the modern social media and and Mm -hmm. associated things. Uh, So in the last couple of years, how many companies have been making use of Kickstarter? Um, How many small ventures have used that to jumpstart and fund? Um, And also how companies, uh, and Ilford are a really good example, are paying far more attention now and and completely reworking their model for communicating with their audience to deal with the, the modern world and the way that people are behaving now, you know, that they're they're far more active on social media. They've completely redone their website. Um, and so, yes, it, it does feel like there's a lot of young companies that are coming up, it's small companies, but that are coming up and doing different things. And that seems to have really inspired. It's kind of fed back to the bigger companies like Kodak and Ilford to go, oh, okay, mm-hmm. we can be doing this too. Um, and it's really exciting. It's, it's just... Um, as you were saying earlier about the fact that with your photography, you know, you're getting the best of all worlds, really. You know, you're you're working in the modern age in a very modern way, but you just happen to be using this particular palette, this particular tool, um, and people in the people who want to try and bring more analog stuff are going. Well, okay, I can do this, but make the most use of all the most modern things to help me do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's wonderful because one one of the things I really wanted to ask you about, um, Sandra, because I I I know that this is something that you're quite passionate about. Um, as you said repeatedly, you've been in business for a long time. You've been in business for what do you say about eighteen years now? Yeah, yeah, going on nineteen. Yeah, crazy. That th- that's a really long time to maintain a photography business full stop. Um, l- let alone one. I mean. I, the, the analog film versus digital thing doesn't make that much difference. But how have you managed to sustain a business through what's have been some very tough economic times? I mean, mm-hmm. when the economy hit the toilet, I cannot imagine that newborn photography and you know people getting portraits well, done was top yeah. of anyone's list. What's... And I had newborn twins at home when that happened. Oosh. It was rough. Wow. It was really <laughs> rough. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how yeah. have you kept? The business because what did you do before this i was a teacher <laughs> i was a kindergarten teacher um before i was a photographer i had zero business sense i didn't know what i was doing like i said i started my business kind of on accident because if i'm being quite honest i was having a hard time making ends meet on a teacher salary i was broke and i needed to bring in some extra money and so i started doing this picture thing sort of on the side as like a side hustle and it took off. And so what's interesting, and um, 
I actually think this is a really important conversation to have because I think the reason that I am still in business today and I'm able to run a very successful studio in Seattle um, is due to two things. First of all, I was smart enough to realize that if I was charging money for photos, that I was actually running a business. Now that sounds like a no brainer, but I think a lot of people, a lot of photographers and a lot of artists and creatives, they go into business without realizing they're going into business. They go into business thinking, oh, I can make some extra money or people are going to, you know, hire me to do this thing. This, you know, feels so easy, but they don't take the time to look at it as a real actual business and to set it up like a real actual business and to learn what it means to run a real actual business. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so they struggle. And I, I did too. Like I made all the mistakes and I struggled and it got to a point where I was like, okay, listen, I'm either going to quit or I have to learn actually what I'm doing because I realized that what I was doing wasn't taking pictures. What my real job is, is marketing. And if I was going to continue to take pictures, I needed to learn how to market. And so I sat down and I learned that. And to do that, I actually went outside the photography business and I studied business from people who taught business and I learned about marketing and I did that. So I think that was the first thing that I did that was really smart. It took me a while to get there, but um, did that. And then the other thing to, to run a business successfully and to grow it and to be more and more profitable every year. Not only do you have to understand just the fundamental basics of what it means to market and be in business and all of that, but also to be willing to evolve. And I think you touched on this when you were talking about these film companies that are now, you know, looking at social media, you know, you can't just sit back and do what was working for you in 1999 because that's not going to work for you now, you know? So you have to, I constantly, I'm reading, I'm obsessed with marketing, I'm obsessed with business, and I'm always learning. I'm always taking classes, I'm reading articles, like I'm always trying to figure out what's new and making sure I'm on top of that. Um, and, and But you're, you're also part of that because you're, you're feeding into that system yourself because you are an educator. Part of what yes. you do is you educate and not, on, not only on photography, but also on the business side of things. Yeah. Um, this is a really silly question perhaps, but do you ever worry that in in a limited business in the sense that you know there's there's only so much work out there and you're going out there and passing on everything that you know to other people do you ever think oh am i creating more competition for myself here no i never think about that i really don't here's what i believe 100 percent is that there is enough for everybody i mean there's you can't you can't work with everybody in the world right like how many clients can you actually take in a year mm -hmm. um you know, and there's more people that want it. This is this is my belief, and I actually get really passionate about it. So yeah, I do teach business. I actually have another separate website that I run with um, my friend Elena S. Blair, and it's called Lady Boss Workshops. And we just teach business and marketing to creatives, mostly photographers. Um, and it's interesting because she's not a film photographer at all. So we're two completely different ends of the spectrum as far as what our work is. And what we tell people is we're actually each other's competition. She's the newborn and family photographer here in Seattle. I'm a newborn and family photographer here in Seattle. And it totally doesn't matter. There is enough for everyone. And as far as like teaching business and why I am so passionate about it is because it changed my life. Like I was saying, like I was a struggling school teacher. I got, there's no way that, um, 
I would have been able to live the life that I do or give the life that I give to my children to them if I hadn't had this career and found this. And so I know that it's life changing and I know that it can make a difference for people if they can learn these things and then also make a difference for their clients because I believe that as photographers, what we're giving is really special and really important. And I wanna see more people being successful at it. It breaks my heart when I see really talented people fail and go out of business because they don't know how to run a business. So I wanna teach everybody everything I know I'm 100% confident that that's not going to affect my business. Nobody else is going to be able to see and do the way that I see and do things, even if I teach them exactly, because I'm the only me. And we are all 100% unique. Nobody else can see anything the way another person does at all in the world. So it doesn't, I mean, how's that for an answer? That's a pretty long answer. That's a very answer. good answer. It's a very good answer. I and believe there's I enough for everyone. Agree. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I mean, yeah. As 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 a self-employed gardener, like it's the same kind of things. Like, there's lots of gardens. There's lot. So I'm yeah. quite happy to pass my knowledge on to anybody who asks. Cause like, <laughs> there's yes. always enough work, and if you're good enough, you'll find the work. Where yeah. do you think? Because you said how you hate to see good business people who are good fail, and it happens all the time. All the time. You you can be a wonderful photographer, and your business can still just be a stillborn essentially just never get yeah. going or or you hit a rough patch what are the most common reasons for people to fail do you think because they don't treat it like a business and they don't understand what it means to be a business and they don't understand basic marketing and logistics i mean it's really as simple as that the photography side of it all that's the fun sexy stuff the sitting down and learning to make sure that you're running your books and you're paying your taxes and you're marketing yourself properly not as exciting or some people think it's not as exciting yeah, I, 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 I get it really really so, so what you don't know here Sandra is that by profession I am an accountant stop <laughs> it so you're like you're I'm like speaking your language you're so like, where, yeah. where you are I mean so so I mean I haven't had an accountancy job in 25 years and nobody in their right mind to give me an accountancy job these days but I, ha- <laughs> but I have that in my background but I also run my own business and I've done startups in the past and stuff like that so so you're right every everything you say is ringing so true with me uh, I happen to enjoy the business side of what I do as, as well as the, you know, as well as the work itself. And so, um, you know, I always think that uh, actually I do make, I do, I am the person that makes time to do the business side of my business because I enjoy that too, but it is tough for a lot of people. And, you know, and, and and I think you're right, especially for creative people. And I don't just mean sort of visually creative people, anybody who's, who's committed to making or doing or, or, or whatever in a, in a creative way um it, it is hard sometimes to to force yourself to sit down in front of a spreadsheet in the evenings but uh yeah. I, i'm saying nothing <laughs> because you're, you're uh, like my lips are sealed no but here's okay this is what i want to say to you or anybody who's like yeah i totally hate business i don't want to do it i actually think and now tell me if i'm crazy that that creative side of your brain that makes you a creator it's the same part of your brain that that you can apply to running your business like if you can shift your your view of marketing and change it to something like creative and fun, which I think you can. Um, it's it's using that same part of your brain. You just have to kind of change your mindset around it a little bit. It's a puzzle. Marketing is a puzzle, you know? So how do you figure out 
who your client is. I, I, I agree with you. On, I agree with you yeah. on all of that. Actually, um, right. I think because you can, you can treat it like a puzzle. You can you, you can break it down. You can try and spot patterns. You can there, there's all sorts yeah. of things you can do with, with with a business to make it a creative challenge. Um, it, it doesn't have to be all about uh, yeah all about bookkeeping. And in fact, actually, even though I uh, in theory I'm more than qualified to do my own bookkeeping, I don't. I have an accountant. <laughs> You know, good for you and, and because, because <laughs> apart from the fact that i'm you know my, my knowledge of accountancy is 20 years out of date and i get it wrong um yeah. it, the you know i know that i i don't want to be doing that I, I want to be doing other things i want to be running my business and also have sufficient free time that i can do podcasts <laughs> and stuff like for that. example exactly and that kind of comes back to the question of like okay well what can you why have you made it and you're still in business to me is is that point exactly like I'm really good at delegating you know like I have a bookkeeper and I have an accountant and I have an assistant who I jokingly say reads for me like (laughs) like whenever like some complicated something comes in or something I'm like I can't Gabby just read this and do it for me you know like I know where my strengths are and I do that and I know what my strengths aren't and I you know, delegate that. And granted, I'm at a point now in my career where I can afford to do that. It wasn't always the case. And when, and when I couldn't afford it, I did it myself. But as soon as I got to that point, you bet I hire things out as much as I possibly can. So that's an interesting thing, even when it comes to photography, because we talk a lot on the show and I get a lot of flack on this show, actually, for not doing my own development and, and scanning and, and oh, really? <laughs> printing and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, it doesn't matter how many times I, I point out that some of the most famous photographers in the world, like, I don't know, like Cartier-Bresson, ne- ne- never developed their own film. I always get Ansel Adams quoted back at me. <laughs> right. So where, where do you stand on that spectrum? <laughs> Oh, I send my film out too. I don't develop my own stuff. Nope. Um, I just, I mean, the volume that, I mean, I shoot Mm. six to 10 sessions a week and I'm doing four to five rolls a session. There's just no way. That's not my expertise. Like that's an art form in and of itself. And I believe in, in making sure I have the best partner. I feel like my photo lab is my creative partner and they know how I want it to look and we work together. I use Richard Photo Lab. They're fantastic. And um, no, I, I ship mine out. Ship yeah. it out. You, you're saying that you spend like a lot of time and um, energy investing in improving yourself and keeping abreast of what's going on and stuff. I mean, how does that, with the, with the business side, how after 18 years are you also managing to keep fresh and obviously clearly passionate about your photography as well because the one thing that really stands out about your photography is that it it does feel very fresh and very natural and very now and I mean I I can't imagine that you've always shot in the same style because I mean maybe you have done maybe your photography has always been the same but yeah is that also a thing of constant involvement evolving and um how do you how do you keep loving what you're doing? Because most people, when they're doing anything for that length of time, start to get a bit. <laughs> if I see another pink ass, I'm going to walk out <laughs> that door. <laughs> like that's it. I've had it. Um, I actually really freakishly love what I do, and I'm I'm inspired by it. You know, a lot of photographers who are professional photographers talk about having personal projects so that they can keep themselves inspired. I don't. I don't pick up my camera outside of work. My work is my creative process. It's 
it, that's where I get that from. So maybe that helps keep it fresh. And um, as far as the style, so this thing happened around the time of the, of the Great Recession. I had newborn twins at home. The economy had tanked. I, I had, this is an incredibly long story that I won't get into, but I had been shooting weddings and I decided to quit shooting weddings and go back to just shooting portrait work because I'm a portrait photographer and what the heck was I even doing shooting weddings? That was super dumb. And, um, and I had this moment where I was kind of really burnt out. And that was that moment where I was like, okay, I'm either going to quit or I'm going to actually figure this out and do it the right way. And I started studying business and all of that. And another thing that I did in that moment is I decided that I was going to figure, I was just, I was sick of trying to do what was on trend. I was sick of trying to do what everybody else wanted me to do. It wasn't working. It wasn't helping my business. I was miserable. I hated picking up the camera. And so I was just like, I'm done. I'm done looking at anybody else's work. I'm done being influenced by what's being published. I'm done being influenced by what I think is on trend. And I'm just going to focus on shooting the way I want to shoot. And if that's not on trend and that's not sexy, I don't care because people are going to like it or they're going to not. And I'm either going to make it or I'm going to not. So that was kind of my attitude. And so at that time, I just really kind of got into just finding my voice, I guess, as an artist and just really shooting the way I want to shoot. And the way I want to shoot, what I like is simple, clean, portraits. Like, and I know it's not cool and I know it's not sexy and I don't care. I don't care that, you know, other things are on trend right now. I like people sitting on a stool in front of a pretty backdrop with a nice light looking into the camera. I like that. <laughs> that inspires me. And that's what I want to do. And I don't care. So I kind of have just really, I just do that. And so, you know, I guess my style has evolved somewhat. I, I, like I said, I'm a portrait photographer. And so I've always loved people sitting on a stool with pretty light and a pretty backdrop staring into the camera. My job is to make that interesting where I think the challenges and what inspires me is, okay, how do you sit somebody on a stool, have them look dead into your camera, no other distractions, no background, and have that be a compelling image? You know, how do you get something out of them? How do you show their personality? That's the fun of it. And I feel like that's the art of it. See, when you say it like that, when you say it like that, that sounds really scary. Right? That sounds like the hardest. <laughs> that sounds like the hardest possible challenge you could take on. Right? Yeah. It is, and it's fun. Yeah, and especially know when that person's a two-year-old, right? Yeah. Well, I tell you what. One of the things that is in like is, is that it, whatever you're doing, the people in your photos seem to be enjoying themselves. Right? So okay, that's yeah. got that's got to speak for a lot, right? <laughs> oh, good. It's you know, like you saying, Sarah, Sarah, Sandra, sorry. Um, that's like, <laughs> I get called like, Sarah and Susan all the time. I'll answer I know. It. I got right. called Jeremy. <laughs> and, that, <laughs> and that's really stuck. So it could be worse. Um, it's, it's really interesting what you were saying about how you were, you know, when your kids were so young and you completely revisited your style. Because I've you know, been looking at all of your work and trying to think what it is about it. And I think... The thing that really comes across for me in all of your pictures, whether it's your newborn stuff or, you know, adult portraits or whatever it may be, is that they all feel like pictures that were taken by somebody that, that you know, kind of like they were found there, like, oh, you're taking pictures of a loved one. Like the, the pictures of the newborns are the kind of pictures that, oh, I would love to take that picture of my children. That, that, that kind of connection, I think, is what, makes them stand out it's not here's a picture of somebody's baby looking cute it's like no here it, it's here's what feels like a picture of 
a loved one being taken um and like that is the commonality across all of the pictures uh and you, you know it was just really interesting because the when you said oh it was shooting my own twins it's like all oh, right okay now i can see <laughs> where maybe that kicked off um do you think that's the case or am i just pulling stuff out my no, own back actually i feel like that's the nicest thing anybody's ever said about my work so thank you because that is that is what i want i really do love my people and i think you know one of you mentioned this earlier like it sounds like you really love people i really love people like i am one of those people that i just think other people are kind of adorable like humans you know like I see the woman in the, you know, the Christmas sweater at Christmas time. And I just want to hug her because I think she's so cute. I'm not thinking she's silly because she's wearing a Christmas sweater. I'm like, oh, look at you in your Christmas sweater. I love you. So, um, like, I think that that's it. I mean, I really do love my people. And yeah. I think what I do is important. And yeah. I know that in the industry, sometimes newborn and family work is kind of poo-pooed. And people think it's silly. And I think it's really important. I, I love the fact that so much of your work just straddles the line between you know, newborn maternity and fine art. I mean, it's quite happily just sitting there going, yeah, this is both of those things at the same time. Um, but oh, thank you. quite, quite how you managed to get, I don't, I don't know how you get an invisible connection to come through so clearly on a photograph. It's, it's it, uh, that is the skill that people are paying money for. And it really uh, comes through. It's, it's wonderful. Do you, oh, do you think, why do you think you found it so hard to collect to connect with digital when you made the transition what what do you think it was about that that was a, a barrier to this digital stressed me out they're different there's a different set of um expectations i felt like when i was shooting my digital camera that i had to capture absolutely everything from the moment people came in it was almost frantic you know so people came in and I just had to start shoot 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 and there was not a single interaction that I could miss and any any little expression I had to capture um and then I'd end up with like a thousand images to call at the end of a session and it stressed me out and I think the slowness of film it kind of allows me to make that connection you know what you're talking about because mm. And instead of like racing, 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 I am sitting in it. I'm waiting for it. I mean, if people, I just did um, an online class that I'm teaching and the, one of the production people mentioned that she was like, I was watching you shoot and you take one frame and then you wait for like 30 seconds or a minute. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, um, it's just, it feels more relaxed. And I feel like, especially working with little kids, you know, kids mirror your energy. And so if you come in and you're frantic and you're rushing, they're going to be frantic and rushing too. But when you can, you really slow down, breathe into it and just take the time to connect them. They want to be seen. Children want to be seen. Everybody wants to be seen, but particularly kids. And you can give that to them. It just brings the whole energy to a different place. And when I'm shooting film, I can get there and I'm not distracted. I'm a pretty ADD person. So if I have something popping up on the back of my camera, I'm going to look at it. I get distracted with the film, I don't. I can just connect to my my subjects. That's wonderful. It's yeah, um, yeah uh, a great it, answer. It, it is a great answer. I'm not sure we can cap that by having a, a another question. So I think I think I'm probably going to jump in here and, and and like we can all ponder that over this next short break.
and we're back and uh, uh, often as we do uh, to, uh, towards the, the third or fourth sections of the show or sometimes the fifth, sixth and seventh sections of the show uh, we like to uh, get in touch with our listeners and uh, and all the emails that they've sent us but first of all Graham I think you've got a couple of shout outs something to do with Kodak and Analog Wonderland and other stuff yeah just wanted this so this is absolutely i know i said this last time and i was lying then but this is the truth this time um this is your very last chance to send in images um because although the opportunity to get a free roll of film has now passed as of the 3rd of september uh, i believe you can still send entries in until the 10th so you've got a couple of days left when you hear this and the other thing i just want to draw people's attention to um because they may have missed it uh we will have had by the time you listen to this uh, although it's in the future for us because podcast time travel um a little mini uh, only an hour podcast um has gone out uh, a few days ago talking all about uh this year's secret santa emulsive secret santa and specifically the new thing where um m and, and everybody involved with it uh is wants you to nominate potential good causes to receive um the donor gifts this year it's a really cool new thing that's happening with the emulsive secret santa uh m's got an article up on emulsive you can read all about it or listen to the podcast or yeah better yet both but mostly just listen to the podcast um so please do check both of those things out um because yeah it's all cool all fun and look stuff going on cool excellent right well there we go so should we dive into some emails then uh yes i'm i'm waiting with bated breath because uh a, i know you've written this down by you but i'm going to listeners aid has taken over email duties uh which you could also be read as i've had email duties taken away from me because i can't be trusted with them um you judge what you will from that uh the the upside to that is that people who write in will actually get are more likely to get a reply because i never reply to anybody um so but, there you uh, go so yeah. that's already a good thing it is already a good thing <laughs> you know i'm doing really well sandra you'd be really pleased with me because i'm doing i feel like i've delegated this role uh to aid also well, on, the, on the subject of delegating um <laughs> i haven't mentioned this to aid yet uh, eric uh who we had on the show <laughs> a couple of weeks ago hit me up to go you know you haven't posted anything on instagram for two weeks and i went look if you're so clever why don't you deal with it then <laughs> so eric is now dealing with our instagram for us <laughs> This, well played. This is this is good. This is good news. This is good news. It's uh, uh, well. Well, let's let's let's. Okay, so let's tell people about the email thing, shall we? So so the um, the more the the more astute of our listeners may have noticed recently that our shows have been getting a little bit longer, <laughs> as in nope. clocking at two and a half hours a week or something like that. And a good chunk of that is because it, uh, so many listeners are getting in touch via email, and we've been going through the emails. So what we've decided to do, uh, or at least to try, is to uh, everybody still gets a mention, which is good. But as Graham said, we're going to actually reply to emails, um, you know, offline, off the show uh, and have for most of the emails we get just a, a quicker shout out mention to people. Um, and we'll, we'll pick a couple that will, yeah, that are very much on the conversation point for the day, as it were, that will uh, that, that we'll dive into a little bit more deeply. Uh, so, uh, I yeah, I've been um, had the, the actually 
actually, I said, do you know what? In preparation for this show, I spent a good hour, hour and a half going through all the listener emails earlier today and replying to people and getting involved in conversations. And some people replied to me even within a few minutes of my replies. So, so I ended up in some conversations with uh, with uh, some uh, let's call them lucky listeners um, <laughs> earlier today before we before we started talking with Sandra. So yeah. uh, you know. All, I- so and I just want to say, and, and this, we need to make sure we um, get Rachel into the loop on this as well, but certainly I also still get to see all the emails coming in and we will make sure that Rachel too also gets to see all the emails coming in. So we will all still get to read all of the emails in full, but um, aid the one that we will be oh, responsible yes, for replying because I can't be trusted with that because um, like Sandra... I am lazy. Well, <laughs> unlike Sandra, I haven't managed to turn into a productive business yet. I'm, I'm, I'm the wrong sort of lazy. Okay, so, so we're going to dive in here. We're going to dive in here and say hi to Sean Hall, who has sent us an email that is absolutely chock full of good ideas. A lot of them, he said, that have come from uh, fixing a, an old Ensign Bellows camera that he had. Uh, so a quick run through of Sean's ideas. Um, uh, tape. Uh, often we talk about how to fix Bellows those that have got holes in them and he has found uh, a uk based product uh, for taping up bellows um, so often we hear and he says it in his email himself uh, from people like uh, the fpp podcast uh, uh, about where you can buy these things in america he has done the research for uk listeners and there's a link in the show notes there he also has found a product called permatex ultra black gasket maker which apparently is a tub of goo that you can actually make rubber gaskets for light seals out of if you can't buy them, which sounds very interesting for the older cameras. Uh, he has a tip to do with leaf filters. Uh, he says if you really want to try out some uh, filters, uh, not just colour filters, but things like NDs as well, uh, you can get uh, a swatch pack, 150 or so coloured and other filters you know, that are that can be taped um, you know, across your lens or, or cross flashes or whatever to just so you can see what's going on and how it works um, and then maybe help you buy uh, the right ones. Uh, he has some uh, tips for Rachel. Uh, his tip for Rachel is basically uh, don't touch anything that says HG on the side. <laughs> don't use mercury because um, that might be what makes the batteries explode, Rachel. She does seem to have an incredible run of exploding batteries, a thing that has never ever happened in my life happens to her all the time i think I, it's I a exploding batteries like camera batteries yeah all sorts yeah, of things double a batteries camera batteries Wait, what? Uh, nope that's never happened to me no i know it's it's not a thing is it sandra it's not a no. thing <laughs> i think i think rachel might be a a, a secret ex ex person x-man um, and her power is to explode batteries with her mind <laughs> very, very yes. useful power but um not particularly that's cool not particularly okay so uh, another tip from sean actually is that martin parr world famous uh, magnum i think photographer martin parr has now set up a thing called a foundation um, at a place called the paintworks in brislington bristol uh, where he has a gallery a bookshop they do talks they do all sorts of stuff uh, so sean says anybody who lives in and around bristol uh, should really make a trip to see the martin parr gallery um, which is relatively newly set up i believe and last but not least, he says, well, he's really enjoying the whole conversation we've been having the last few weeks about photography rather than gear. He does say we should never, ever forget about the people who mend cameras, because without them, we wouldn't actually have the luxury of talking about photos rather than gear. 
And of course, yeah. he's absolutely right. But he sounds out by saying, apart from Graham, whose camera collection is mostly plastic. <laughs> you know, I mean, and obviously I do, I realise I have a couple of cameras, maybe more than I need to, but I did... Um, Rachel was up briefly visiting last the end of last week because she was second shooting on a wedding in Oxford, and she really wanted to, while she was here to visit um, the secondhand dark room, my local Aladdin's cave of loveliness and um, stuff. And she just didn't have the time to. We couldn't make that work. But um, I thought I should pop in just to. <laughs> oh, what have you bought this week? <laughs> no, nothing, nothing. Um, because uh, I, I didn't have them, but I did. They had a couple of Leicas there, which I picked up and went, oh, that's quite nice. But the, the cameras I picked up, and I was like, mm, I think I really need this. They had an Olympus OM4 Ti. I was like, oh, I think I might need that. <laughs> I can't, I cannot give you a reason why, but I picked up and you look to the viewfinder and it's got all the kind of like cool LCD swooshing across. It's a bit like um, Kit's thing from Night Rider, swoosh, swoosh. Um, <laughs> and, um, and for that reason alone, pretty much, I feel like I need to, um, I don't know, sell one of my children <laughs> to um, buy my... <laughs> buy I, I, I didn't, and I'm sure I won't, but it's very nice. <laughs> it's not as nice as a child, Graham. Oh, yeah. You... In fairness, you haven't <laughs> met my children. That's true. I haven't met your children. That's true. I've seen their rock video, though, and that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Okay, moving on. Next email. Uh, shout out, uh, quick shout out to Michael Balen, um, who is the founder of a thing called the Analog Forever magazine. Uh, his new magazine, uh, which cool. you can find at analogforevermagazine.com. Uh, apparently, it's a bit more than a magazine. It is a biannual, biannual. I think that means twice a year. Biannual print photography journal, uh, and they also have online features and interviews, monthly online exhibitions, and a community calendar. So, Michael, good luck with that venture. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. Everybody, go check it out. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'm going to check it out. Yeah, it looks great. I'm just looking at some pictures now by an, an interview he did recently with um, Susan Bernstein. Um, just are uh, really lovely pictorial and nice and blurry as well, really up my streets. Uh, and from, um, uh, just a, about a week ago, um, yeah, lovely. Check that out in particular because I love those pictures. Good stuff. Right, next up, Pete, Peter Brackenbury. Hi, Peter. Thanks for your email. Um, especially seeing it was, it was full of absolutely glowing praise about all of us, me, Rachel and Graham. Um, <laughs> you really choked on that last bit, didn't you? <laughs> uh, well, you know. So part of me, I was reading this. I thought I'll give this. Uh, I'll give this a mention on the show. Well, no, no, I'll make this the full length one that I read out. And I thought no, it might go to our heads no, a little bit. No, but, no, definitely not. But uh, but just uh, just a few snippets from Peter's email. He he described me as a warm and welcoming host, which was nice. I like. Thank you, Peter. He described you, Graham, as great interviews and great at getting the best out of our interviewees. So there you go. That's very kind. As I pointed out to somebody else recently, that is nothing to do with me. That is purely has, has been a factor of getting the most awesome, awesome people like Sandra on the show. Or, <laughs> and also I that in that email, I think it's worth pointing out that one of the things that um, Peter said was one of AIDS' greatest skill was uh, how did he go? Stopping Graham from abusing the guests, stopping Graham from abusing Rachel, stopping Graham from abusing the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> You're basically yeah. like my handler, aren't you, right? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, uh, but so, uh, Peter, about about Rach, actually, I think he, he uh, uh, a lot of what Rach says on the show resonates with Peter because Peter is also uh, a teacher. He's a grade five teacher. Um, and Rachel talks a lot about the work she does in uh, STEAM, science, technology, something, art and something else. I can never remember. Maths is I the year. 
I think it, I think it's them. I think you've added next. Yeah, no, no, no. There is there, no. There, there's an A. Rach, had, Rach said it recently. And oh, engineering and maths or something Engin- like that. Yeah. 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 So, but I think there there is an A that's coming into it here in this country, and I can't remember what the A is. It might be art. Um, but uh, Rach, Rach would know. Um, and and uh, and Peter also acknowledged the role that Eric has been playing on on the uh, on the podcast recently, and said he loved Eric's audio diaries. Um, but he should possibly stop listening to so much Springsteen when he's on his own. <laughs> no, I'm not much of a Springsteen fan, so I didn't particularly get the detail of that reference. But Eric, you've been told. <laughs> So, Peter, actually, here's the thing uh, I was hoping we could talk to Rachel about, but Peter is going to be doing cyanotype work with his class in September. And apparently in September is a thing called World Cyanotype Day. I had never been aware of that. Graham, is that something you know about? Or Sandra, is that something you know about? No, I don't. Have you ever mucked around with that kind of stuff? Because, I mean, how old are your kids now, Sandra? Twelve. Twelve, so perfect age for playing around with poisons I would, <laughs> I would actually really really love to and i've talked about it for years and i just haven't had an opportunity yet uh, you see we will get uh, we, you should talk to rachel and get some of her kits she's now making kits you know single use kits to introduce people oh. to things like oh, that's so uh, cool. to, to cyanotype stuff um you know you're using the sun uh to, to print around leaves and things like that i think as well so it's uh so uh, you should yes. Well, we definitely need to put you and Rach in touch. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tell you what, Peter. Uh, thanks for the email and good luck with uh, your efforts for World Cyanotype Day. Let us know how you get on. Uh, right. Couple of short shout outs. Uh, hi to Paul Friday, um, uh, who is sharing with us uh, a good site to read up on cheap shots challenge options. Um, uh, uh, the website he recommends is called Canny Cameras, uh, which you can find at austeritypho.co.uk. Um, and mm. I couldn't find on the website the name of the, the person who does the blog, other than the posts were registered, all of them, to somebody called Alan D. So, Alan, if that's you, hopefully I've got that right. Um, uh, uh, thanks for, for the blog. Um, and, uh, Paul, thanks for pointing it out to us. Uh, another one. Yeah. From, oh, sorry. Go on. Go on, go on. No, just it's it's another great resource, well worth anyone's time. Anybody who's as cheap as me should definitely um have a look at that place. Loads, <laughs> of, I mean, it's been going for a long time now. I think, uh, you know, since well, twenty fourteen, um, the first ones got. So yeah, loads of great stuff on there, and it's all about shooting on the cheap. So I I'm a fan of that website. Okay. Uh, also on the theme of our cheap shots challenge, uh, Rob Martinez uh, sent us a note. Uh, Rob's the guy who uh, took the images that Johnny, our judge, um, uh, affectionately referred to as shark snacks. <laughs> mm. Basically, people on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh so so actually rob started off with some what he called sad news he said sad sadly i've caught up with the back lot the back catalog of sunny 16 so he's now not getting enough every day of our show um well uh astonishing <laughs> the more the, the, you know you, i used to think it was crazy when people when we were on show 30 and people would say i've gone right back to the beginning <laughs> now we're over 100 shows <laughs> <laughs> 
So well done, Rob. Um, and and uh, we remain not responsible for any long-term damage done to your psyche. <laughs> we that's on you. It's on you. We uh, warned you. Abs- absolutely. But I tell you what, there's a talking point here. I think for the three of us, um, because uh, one of the points that Rob made was that he he has trouble um, uh, capturing some meaning sometimes in his stories and his photos. You know, um, capturing uh, what he, in his words, capturing the soul of the person whose portrait he's taken or the story in the street photography he's doing. Um, so I, I think there's there's a talking point there, especially maybe for for Sandra. I mean, you know, your your love and passion for portraits has come out in spades today, Sandra. But you know, uh, if you any 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 tips for Rob to 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 really capture some meaningful images with with his portrait subjects? Yeah, there's that. I do, and it's kind of we touched on this a little bit earlier. And then there's that great quote. I think it's by Annie Leibovitz, where she says, "I'm not afraid to fall in love with." the people I'm photographing. Of course, it's a horrible paraphrase. Like, I don't know the exact quote, but then like that, it's like, don't be afraid to fall in love and to like really become invested in who's sitting in front of your camera. Yeah, I think that that's, that's I mean, as weird as it seems, I, I do think that there's like an energy transfer there. Like if you are invested with people and you really want to see them, they're going to let you see them and that's going to come through in the, in the portrait. Does that make sense? Oh, or yeah, totally. Like I'm, I'm, woo-woo magic? No, no, I'm totally with you on the energy transfer thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, you know, I think it's it's more than just uh, children that mirror the energy they find. I, th- I find a lot of people who, who really want a photograph taken, but who are not comfortable generally in front yes. of a camera. They are, they are also very responsive in exactly the way that you've described. Yeah. Mm. Well, we we had a, actually a great chat with Keith Moss about exactly this thing recently. About you know, he's a street photographer, or he's more much more than just a street. Sorry, not just a street photographer. He's much more than simply a street photographer. But um, how he gets the work, his street portraits looking the way it is because of that thing of putting that energy out there and being interested in those people and mm-hmm. um and i think it's, it's hard I, I again looked at rob's um email and um talking about you you sometimes you just take pictures and you look at them and go well i i, I like it but is there meaning in it I, I don't i i also i don't think every picture you have to try and find meaning in every shot we take um you know i don't think i know we've talked a lot about lately about you know wanting to discuss the photographs more and the reason for the photographs but um, I think sometimes the reason can just be the composition was pleasing to my eye. These elements yeah. of the composition came together uh, in a way that was satisfying or soothing or whatever it, whatever the correct adjective is. Um, and that's why I took the picture. It doesn't necessarily mean to be more of a story than that. But I think if you can even just be aware of what the elements of the picture that you liked uh, are, then again, you can you can reproduce those and take them forward. Um, I don't know. What do you, I think, what do you think? I think 100%. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I can say like, you know, falling in love with your people or being invested in your people because I'm a portrait photographer, but I do think that there's something to be said about beautiful light. You know, yeah. that's just as important. Like I'm inspired by the light, the beautiful light, or like you said, the composition, the shape. Um, but I do think that for a photo to be, interesting because you know I don't know like you know sometimes you look at a landscape and it's like meh it's a hill and sometimes you can landscape <laughs> and you're like wow that is really 
beautiful and in a really kind of emotional way. And I do think the difference between meh and wow is, is a purpose behind it. Like, uh, like behind the photographer, you know, for taking it. Like yeah. What, yeah. And, being, and I think, I think you're right that light, light is, is sometimes simply enough purpose. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, uh, the, I th- for me anyway, I mean, for me, I try and, I try and look for the light first um yeah uh, and the subject or uh, second i mean that, that doesn't always work when you've been asked to take somebody's photo obviously but yeah you, know, right. you know it's yeah you know, in more uh candid photography um i often i will spot the light first and then uh, you know i'll try and arrange a situation where somebody is positioned in the light <laughs> yeah because it's so pretty yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so okay well that so uh well um hopefully that's a, a, a collective wisdom is of some use to you there rob <laughs> uh moving on uh pete adler um actually uh, a second email from recently because he emailed into uh, i think show 114 a couple of weeks ago um again this is on the subject of photography rather than gear from peter um uh he says uh just a, a snippet here from his email um the discuss- discussion made me think about the title of an article published in the aperture magazine in 1957 wow <laughs> Um, in, Pete, you old. Yeah, wow. In, well, entitled "Some Methods for Experiencing Photographs" by Minor White and Walter Chapel, um, and uh, he said, "I don't think he uh, don't think he's actually read this." He says he first heard about it in a in a podcast called uh, "The Perceptive Photographer" uh, by fine art photographer Daniel J. Gregory. Um, I believe he's based somewhere near Seattle. So there's a coincidence. Yeah, I Are you aware of that? <laughs> you, you know him, do you? Okay. We do. We taught on Creative Live together. He's a fantastic person. Oh, right. Okay. So you'd recommend his podcast then, would you? Um, I didn't know that he had a podcast. <laughs> Terrible person. Neither did I. Actually, it's <laughs> not one that I've heard of, but uh, apparently it's called The Perceptive Photographer. Um, and wow. he devoted a good deal of his early shows, Peter tells us, to, to concepts in photography. So uh want to go and check out uh, there. Um, uh, listeners uh, well there you go there's a there's a local connection for you son <laughs> that's hilarious so funny. i'm like i know daniel i'm like wait podcast okay so now i'm gonna have to look it up Okay. Everyone's got a podcast. <laughs> so, well, so, so this is this is something that the fine art of photography references because for for our, our cheap shots challenge, Sandra, which is a, a listener competition where where we ask people to spend less than thirty dollars on a camera, a film camera, and enter a particular theme. The new theme we've just started is fine art. Trouble is, none of the hosts of the Sunny Sixteen podcast really know what fine art photography is. <laughs> so. mm, yes, I've. Uh, We've had a few inquiries this week, and it's really interesting that everybody who everybody who's got in touch has gone. What is fine art photography? Because all I can think of is X, and in every case, X is different. All I can think of is artistic nudes, or all I can think of is still life. And it's like, well, clearly, it's it can be anything. But you you shoot fine art, so what's, what's I mean? Your do I? I was just thinking about that. I'm like, what is fine art? I feel like that's one of those things. Like, I don't even. I mean, like, what it. What is the definition of fine art? Hey, Aid, I've just had a great idea. I know how we can all figure out what fine yeah. art is. Sandra, will you come back and judge the fine art competition for us? Yes! In a few oh, my days? God, that would be great. so fun. Awesome. <laughs> that would be good. I mean, that would be great. I like yeah. to think of myself as, I don't know, I wrestle with this. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we'll find well, out shortly. We'll find out. <laughs> 
in a few <laughs> weeks. Figure it out. In a few <laughs> weeks, we haven't set any dates, have we? But you usually we run for. Oh my god, that would be so much fun. So usually, usually these rounds run for what eight to ten weeks, Graham. Is that how long we give yeah. people usually? So probably. Okay, I think I think I've got it. Just give me a sec. Sorry, I totally interrupted you. My apologies. No, I had a, no, a no, flash of inspiration. Good. I don't. I, I I don't know that I can like define fine art. Like this is fine art, but we all know it when we see it, right? Nah. That, That's well. pornography you're thinking of, or it might just be pornography that I'm thinking of. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, did I say that? I think that. Yeah, right like well so yeah well that's so uh, here we go right i'm going to move us on to the okay. next email because it's on okay. topic as well so the next email is from joe baker otherwise otherwise known as at evil chutney who is also somebody that uh we we've heard from previously and he says i know a little something about f- fine art photography as i see it fine art photography is all about honing the techniques of photography to produce beautiful images Uh, Think of Ansel Adams or Alfred Steiglitz or the kind of photos you see in Lenswork magazine. This sort of photography is all about the finished work and the time and skill required to make it. Hmm. He goes on to say there is another kind of art photography, which is more about theory and context and less about technique. Think of Sarah Lucas or Cindy Sherman where the work is making a political statement or asking questions of the viewer. Hmm. I think I've got some reading to do. <laughs> wow. I am much better. I am much better informed. Thank you, Joe, but I'm none the wiser. And that is entirely my fault. Not yours. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a challenging round. I think well, for a lot it's of a us. It's a good job we've got Sandra on board to make to, to, to I don't know. I'm curious. Uh, uh, so, so uh, Joe actually sent us a couple of emails this week, and the other one was uh, was was some information. I will find it probably easier to comprehend. Um, he also recommends for the cheap shots challenge uh, a range of Canon sure shot point and shoot cameras, um, including the Snappy LX2, <laughs> the AF7, which he says is sometimes called the AF8. <laughs> <laughs> That's using um, and the af7s so fine art really can be done on the cheap well there we go mm. yep just getting back quickly to dates for the um competition so uh, what we've done the last few rounds is essentially given them as you said a about eight weeks two months and then done the show i think we're going to have the same time window open of eight weeks but what we are going to do differently this time um is we are going to have a gap of uh, a few weeks between the closing date of all the pictures coming in and the final judging show. And I think what we will try and do uh, is actually talk about, as the host, talk about the photos we've got in in small batches on the weekly shows in the run-up to it. And then on the judging show, Sandra can actually sort of pick a narrowed down number to talk about so that we can sort of so every every picture will get talked about in the round two and then we can actually judge um sandra's uh i don't know top whatever it may be depends on how many pictures we get in <laughs> once everyone's done their 200 word artist statement which johnny also <laughs> said he wanted um thanks johnny um that's kind of the rough plan it will be refined down but essentially you you have two months to get your pictures in so you've got until the end of october 
to get pictures taken. We want the pictures in for then, but the judging will not be immediately after that this time. Okay. Does that sound good to you, Aid? Uh, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> I'd love to see it written down. No, so sorry. I, with the, in my professional life, I hear a lot of people put vague plans out and never stick to them. So let write it down. How dare you? <laughs> and no, I won't. I never will. I know. <laughs> You'll track me back. Okay, all right. So here we go. Like that very quick shout out to Barnaby Nutt, who is kind of the instigator of our ongoing conversation the last few weeks about saying, "Can we please talk about photography more than gear?" Um, and he's just written in to say, uh, "Thanks, guys." Uh, he's really pleased at the number of people who've taken up uh, the baton on this, and and really, st- you know, he's he's noticed the change in the last few weeks. We've been talking a lot more about uh, photography rather than cameras, and so uh, he was writing in to say thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, well, we enjoying it we're enjoying it right here we go here is uh, uh an email which we're actually going to go through and this is the one i think is going to be interesting to all of us because it's uh it, it's a got an educational angle to it as well um this is uh from alistair dougal um and he says hi sunny side downers as i am in australia and everything is upside down <laughs> recently i've discovered your podcast and really enjoy listening to it well thank you very much the reason of writing to you is to encourage you to promote the no digital camera allowed rule ah okay cold turkey i teach photography to small groups and individuals and the biggest problem is people transfixed by the review process digital cameras are great but to teach my ch- my students, I get them to cover their back screen and take their camera mm. out of automatic. This is a major source of stress for the newbies not know- and not knowing that rules like the Sunny 16 rule actually work. Uh, or at least they will do in Australia, not in the UK. Um, and, not in Seattle either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, most try to peek through the viewfinder if their camera has one or lift the cover of the screen. Okay. Anyway, the reason I want to praise you guys is around the podcast Boys on Film, episode 114. Eric suggesting doing a drawing of the scene. Brilliant idea as it focuses the mind on what you are trying to capture. Mind you, I can't draw either, but a simple few lines even work. So from now on, I will give my students a little drawing pad and get them to both sketch the scene and to note the camera settings. So simple ideas will help people understand what they're doing. I always look to learn about photography and these ideas on the periphery of the subject help you to learn the art. Thanks for the great podcasts, Alistair Dougal, far away and upside down in Sydney, New South Wales. Okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, no, so, so, okay. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty uh, zero tolerance. No digital cameras allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a good yeah I think you know stopping people from seeing things is, is is a good thing right I think so I think it's I think it's good to learn how to do it like learn the basics and understand why and then yeah right like a lot of I'm always surprised when I teach photography that people don't understand the basics and I go back and forth on that because sometimes I'm like maybe it's okay just to be inspired, like we were saying, by composition or whatever. But I do think, if, especially if you're going to be a professional photographer, you should understand, you know, I, I actually think triangle. For, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah. I, I think for education, um, I think actually both 
both approaches um, are valuable depending on what it is that you're specifically trying to teach at the time. So mm-hmm. I think if if you're trying to teach people about exposure, then I think getting them to go blind is a good thing. Getting them to actually, yeah. okay, look. Um, but that said, I think digital cameras are hugely useful for learning um, about the a different effect that you can get by adjusting aperture and shutter speeds and trying all of these things out mm-hmm. and, and and understanding how folks and you can do all that very quickly and for nothing and go okay if i do this i get this result if i get uh, you know uh, and by the time if you do that with a film camera by the time you get the results back you've forgotten what it was you were trying yeah, to learn i agree um so they they can be a really useful tool but just not for everything it's, it, it's like all of this stuff it's like it, i I don't think having an either-or is ever the solution to anything. I, I read an article today that Rach sent me, um, somebody who's essentially writing a rebuttal to all of these articles. You see, you know, 10 reasons why I'm going back to film, or these 10 reasons why film could jog right on, because I tried and it wasn't very, you know. And he, he'd tried going back to film. He had been a film shooter and 20 years ago, and he went back to it after shooting digital and just, you know, shot a roll of film, got the results back from the lab, and they were all underexposed and disappointing. And he said, I, I won't be doing that again. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. It's not for him. He, you know, um, and uh, you, you, there is no one size fits all. Um, but digital can be a very useful learning tool because you can see instantly how the, the changes, the choices that you've made have affected the image you've taken. So from that side, I think they are quite useful. My, I give my kids, my kids take digital photos. We they have film cameras too, but um, and with the digital cameras, it is really fun for them because they're, you know, at twelve years old, they're not learning necessarily exposure triangle, but they are getting a really good idea of composition and what is pleasing to their eye. And I think it's fun to use the digital camera for that way. Yeah, mm, for sure. yeah, I think so. I give my kids, I give my kids. Uh, digital cameras um tough cameras because they'll only drop them um uh, but the uh, mine are a bit younger than yours actually so mine are seven or eight and eight at the moment oh yeah and uh but i tell you what my daughter is starting to enjoy instax so as as an introduction as an introduction to film photography instax is awesome so yeah so but but yeah so it it, it is interesting because i can see an argument for um uh i can see an argument for for not seeing that you know uh, yeah, yeah absolutely the instant feedback from shooting digital is is a powerful tool as you say graham but i think there's a lot of there's a lot of educators these days who say well no yeah yeah it, it, it's it's a crutch and and you need mm. to you need to break the mold you know before you can you you can remake well, you can remake it if if that makes sense i have seen people yeah i've i've seen educators say don't you know you don't don't have to worry you don't have to learn metering or you don't have to worry about any of that you know just check the back of your camera and adjust it until you like the way it looks and that works for some people i guess you know yeah. but i i do believe that if you're going to be a professional photographer you should at least understand exposure Yes, yeah. I, th- I think I think definitely if you're going to be a professional <laughs> photographer, and right? Yeah, absolutely. And I like. Do you know what I? Um, yeah, when Eric was on the show a couple of weeks back, and he was talking about sitting down with a sketchbook and doing a drawing, um, uh, as hard as that can be, and I know I would find it nigh on impossible. I might get the basic lines to create the shape. Um, it's certainly 
you, you, you are immersed in the image making in a way that uh, actually a camera tries to protect you from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one of the one of the reasons I do photography as a hobby is because I can't draw and I can't paint. And actually with a camera, right. I can I can kind of capture the thing that I'm picturing in my head. Uh, because although I don't have the the motor skills to capture it any other way, I can use a machine to help me, right? Um, uh, and that's one of the things that draws me to photography. But I can see absolutely the sense in what uh, Eric was saying and what Alistair is is uh, is proposing to do uh, with his students. So I think uh, what I'd like to Alistair actually, Alistair, if you can keep in touch and let us know how it goes. Um, uh, that would be really good to to understand, you know, just what kind of an impact uh, an exercise like that could have on your students. Definitely. I what I would I, with this with the exercise, uh, you know, and I didn't do this when I went out with the sketchpad to try and draw the, the one time I tried it. Um, but I wonder whether it'd be a really good way of. We've talked again in the last couple of weeks about the elements of the composition. I said whether that's S curves, triangles, leading lines, whatever it may be. Is even if you just when you're skitting down sketch, you're going, well, what are these elements are in here and putting those in just to see how the composition works rather than any detail, anything else, just looking at those individual elements and, and seeing what's there and what isn't. Um, yeah, that might be something I might go back to and have another go at. Mm. Um, yeah, sounds, sounds, sounds interesting and food for thought there. It's a good point in the show for food for thought because I, I think we're pretty close to the end of the show. Um, uh, unless Graham, you've got any uh, surprises that have not made it into the show notes? Uh, I mean, I didn't put anything in the show notes. Everything's always a lovely surprise. But no, again, <laughs> once again, just to um, reiterate that uh, Eric uh, is looking after the Instagram for us now. So hopefully, you'll see a bit more regular and more carefully put together activity on there. Thank you very much, Eric, for helping out with that. And check out the Emulsive Secret Santa um, post and podcast from earlier in the week. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, that probably is the end of the show then. So, Sandra, have you enjoyed yourself? I had so much fun. I just want to hang out with you guys. No, <laughs> well, that's kind of what the show's all about. So, yeah, you'll be welcome back whenever you like. Blast. Yeah. It's oh, been a delight you. having you on. I'm very glad. We've already, we already know you're coming back on, so I will be looking forward to that. <laughs> oh yeah, well I'll be looking forward to it too. So uh, well, I, t- I tell you what though. In in the meantime, uh, Sandra, I mean, we've heard about your photography business, we've heard about your education business, we've heard about your uh, lady boss workshops. Uh, where where would you point our listeners to 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 get in touch with your work, the various aspects of your work? Oh wow! Well, you know, Instagram is always a great place to start. You can follow me, Sandra Cohn. Cohn is spelled C-O-A-N. It's kind of a weird spelling. Um, on Instagram, you can see a lot of my work. It's where I post my my newest work, and I, you know, do a lot of stories and education pieces there too. So that's kind of fun. Um, if you want to see my client work, you can go to sandracone.com. And if you're interested in learning resources, you can go to sandraconeeducation.com and ladybossworkshops.com. Okay. I have, I have a lot of places. That's all. <laughs> that's good. See, this is, this, yeah, but if, if, if you came and talked to us a lot about the, your love of marketing and then you only had like one Facebook account, it wouldn't quite yeah. be living the dream, would it? <laughs> so, no. Sandra, you were saying that you've recently had, um, Adorama have recently published a, a, one of your workshop videos. Um, yeah. What was that one on? Oh, um, that was, we did marketing basics for photographers. And if you want to see it, it's a really good class. I taught it with my friend Elena's Flair and 
we talk about content marketing in particular and how to use it in social media and on your blog to boost your SEO. Um, if you go to Adorama, their Facebook page, they should have it linked in. And we taught the class on the 27th, August 27th. And so you may have to scroll a little bit to find it, but it's definitely there. Have you got any of your lighting workshops on there as well? Um, not on Adorama. I have a lighting workshop on Creative Life. You can see that is specifically for film photographers. And if you go to Sandra Cohn Education, I have a lot of resources there. And I also, I have an online class that you can purchase there. I also offer, I didn't even talk about this, but um, as far as lighting, I offer one-on-one, -on -one, I call it light lighting coach. Like there's business coaching and there's lighting coaching. So I can go and work with you one-on-one -on -one over Skype or in person if you want to come to Seattle in my studio. And I have all different packages and options there it's really fun awesome. to do by the way awesome absolutely yeah. yes awesome is is the word for it brilliant well plenty of ways then for uh, for uh, our listeners to get in touch uh, uh, about all the different uh, aspects of your business uh, and art okay good so that is uh well uh, there we are listeners um it has been an honor and a privilege to talk to you as always um uh, as, as Graham said, uh, you should have received by now, not just this week's show, but uh, a little in-between show. Uh, and uh, I can't bring myself to say the words because it's still <laughs> summertime. So, Graham, what was that one about? It's all about the emulsive Secret Santa 2018 and <sighs> specifically about the new donut part of it. I'm sorry. Cool. Uh, so it's Christmas! I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have to say sorry to M. M. I, I absolutely want to support this, but I've just got back from my summer break and my brain is broken every time I try and think about it. But I will be in the mix, mate. I will be in the mix. So it's The biggest decision I have made at the moment, because I obviously haven't done it yet, do I put Christmas music as a rapper on that podcast or not? Oh, oh. I'd <laughs> put a bit, cry, of Cliff, but... bit of Cliff Richard. We're all going on a summer holiday. You know? <laughs> that's, that's what you really want. Something that's something nice and summery. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. So, uh, yes. Uh, well, um, uh, you can get in touch with us, listeners, as always. Uh, we are just simply Sunny 16 Podcast, pretty much wherever you want to go. Start off with the website, sunny16podcast.com, and then just go through all the socials um, and then email us, sunny16podcast at gmail.com. Um, as Graham's been describing, we're having a bit of a, a, a circle round. We're all changing roles. So I'm doing the email now. Uh, Graham, you're, you've been doing the Twitter for quite a while, haven't you? Uh, Eric's taking a go on the Instagram, so uh, it's a bit, bit of a merry-go-round, but uh, hopefully mm -hmm. we'll be, manage to cover all the bases, um, keep you entertained. Uh, and in terms of entertainment, we will play you out right now with Rachel's band, Rocker, whose album Promises I Should Have Kept. Uh, you can get on Spotify, Amazon or iTunes. Whew, there we go. And according to my recording counter, we've snuck it in under two hours. So this is the shorter show for ages. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, thank you all. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.